0: Let me show you how it's done.
1: Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop. drop, drop. Well, folks,
0: it's been too long. This is The Drops Podcast. We are so excited to be talking to y'all today. And we have one of my favorite things is when we do a roundup. So just for context, Tim and I send each other messages all the time. And a lot of times it's just kind of like, I'm going to read this company because this company is doing some foolishness. And then some of the the, the the reading is so interesting that we decide to round up and dis- to, dis- discuss it so y'all can hear what we have to say about the shenanigans that are going on out here in the
1: world. So having said that, Tam, you want to get us started? There's a couple of things that's been happening over the last several weeks One of the first things is Lyft. The CEO is now asking everybody to return back to work. And that's been happening all over the place. I don't know if this is really commentary on whether back to work is really going to be a thing. And what that's going to do. I think they're going to try it. But this is more about Lyft is really suffering. And the CEO has decided bringing people back into the office is going to help them right the ship. I guess the logic is they can't get product market fit from home?
0: What's so funny about this is that I love that you said, I guess you can't get product market fit from home. Because we know that there's like many, many other companies that aren't struggling with this. And so like, there's a part of me that just instantly goes, hey, I think there's a problem with your product. And I think we said this, we said this a million times, right? You cannot buy your way to product market fit. And companies like Lyft and Uber, who have consistently just not accomplished like what that true product market fit looks like, you know, they're all examples of companies where they just have a terrible, terrible, terrible strategy where they've just continued to pour money into, you know, subsidizing the cost of their products, which is why people use them. However, you know, we're now at the point where they can no longer do that. You know, I I was in um, Chicago recently and it's the first time that I've like really, you know, been out. out. I mean, it's like I'm a great example of a COVID person where. I used to take Ubers and Lyfts constantly. I used to order from Uber for, you know, food constantly. But after COVID, you know, it just became one of those situations where I don't really need to do those things very often. I don't travel as much as I did, did before because as a public speaker, as well as everything else, I can actually do most of these things from my home. And so I think that's a great example is that people who generally used to travel don't have to do that anymore. And so Lyft is just not a feasible option especially when I was looking at prices of my local cool, um, situation. I think I spent something like almost $1,000 just on Ubers and Lyfts for like a week and being in a different city. I mean, it was cool because it's like a business expense. But if this was not, if it was not our business expense, I would have been figuring something else out, right? Because it just, it just, it's just exorbitantly expensive. I think the bigger issue is it's like, how do you actually make this cost efficient? And I know, Sam, when you were talking about it, you were talking what you thought the value was with Lyft. And so I'd be kind of curious if you kind of would break that down for people, like how you actually think the value, what the actual value is of lip and how they actually, you know, can extrapolate out and make that main part of
1: it. I will. I think you're saying a couple of things that I agree. I want to first say that I'm not on the camp that work from home is the answer. It provides a lot of benefits. And I think that we've created a behavior. I think that there are things that happen in this world that shift behavior. And it's an opportunity for some, and it's the death for others. The internet was a thing, created an opportunity for Netflix, killed Blockbuster. Uh, the, the housing crash or the financial crash of 2008 was the opportunity for the sharing economy. That's when Airbnb, Lyft, and uh, Uber came about. And then you have COVID, which shifted behavior again. I think we're going to look back at this time in COVID and say, we've created new behaviors. You kind of open up a box. And the work from home thing is, I think, one of them. Before COVID, 2018, I had moved out of the country. I lived in France. And when I came back, so when I moved, I got rid of a lot of things. Got rid of the condo, got rid of the car, everything. Came back, moved to a downtown area. I didn't need a car anymore. So for three years, I didn't have a car. And then the, fortunately, during the pandemic, not having a car was a great thing because now I couldn't even go anywhere. At the time before that, I was a traveling consultant. I lived in downtown. I was like you. Everything got delivered to my house. And when I was out, I was in another city. So I didn't need a car. Pandemic happens, And now it's not this extra baggage that I have. It was great. Then I moved to the suburbs, the suburban area. And this is also during COVID when they don't have enough drivers. And I could not rely on Uber or Lyft anymore. And so I had to get a car. So now I have a car and all of the things that are are that I used to subjugate to the algorithms or to these apps I've taken back as responsibility. I now go to the grocery store myself and pick up my own groceries. I drive, you know, I do these things myself so I have less of a reliance on Uber. I don't have the Uber one pass anymore, things like that cuz I just don't use it. The other part to that is that uh, there is something to be said about While remote work has allowed us to work all over the world and allow things to get done, there is a delay. There is something to be said of your teammate is right down the hall or decision making. uh, The the line to decision making is a lot leaner when you have co-located people. I think some companies are misinterpreting their failure in the market. And, and don't want to admit we just don't have product market fit and saying, let's just bring everybody back into the office. We're just not collaborating more. And I think these two things are not the same. Product market fit is not necessarily a collaboration issue. Then again, there are some areas where it's just better for speed to market to have everybody co-located. I personally believe. I would like to see a hybrid environment come back, but to this, to this lift thing, right? I think that this pandemic has shown that Really, there isn't enough people willing to pay for this service that you could sustain a business out of it. And maybe this is one of those monopolistic, duopolistic type of businesses where you have these two giants trying to compete for the market. And there's just not enough need, apparently. And I think that the problem is not that there's not a need. We would all like to travel. We all need a way to get from point A to point B. That is the jobs to be done, the way to get to point A to point B. But unfortunately. There's a limit to how much people will pay for it, and there's a limit to how much people will work in this type of job. And I think that Lyft and Uber are both suffering from both of those. And the only reason why Uber is doing a little bit better is because they had the play of Uber Eats, and apparently people still like to order food. And I think that that's only the thing that's keeping them alive. But if they had one-to-one comparison with Lyft, I think they'd both be in the same position. Um, And so I think it begs the question of will Lyft survive or should they get acquired? And if they get acquired, who would be in the best position to acquire them? Personally, I think it's going to be an OEM manufacturer like a Ford or a GM. Because one of the biggest assets or the biggest cost centers of of these ride sharing thing is the equipment for the employee. They have to pay for that car. Um, And for Lyft or Uber... 80% 80% or more of the revenue that you're getting is going out to these drivers. And if you are a GM or a Ford and you own the production of that vehicle, that's either revenue for you because you can make it cheaper for this employee to use your, your vehicle. You could own it. Personally, if I was a GM or a Ford, I would design the car to be different. This is not a car that needs to go 150 miles per hour. You're transporting passengers. And so the car of the future, if it's designed for transportation, would really just be another type of taxi, right? And so for a Ford or GM, that's probably a cheaper type of a car. It's a very specific type of a car. Um, But I think that they could own that vertical better, and it would probably be better in their stack than if it were a separate company that has to incur all of these costs all over the place. Uber tried to do a leasing program. For because a lot of the people that want to drive for Uber don't have the right kind of car. It, you know, there has to be within a certain number of years, has to be a four-door, all of these things. So a lot of people who wanted to drive for Uber didn't have the required car. So Uber did this lease program and they could not do it profitably. They just couldn't do it because they are getting the car from somewhere else and it's just, it didn't work. And so that's my theory. We can explore a little bit. It doesn't make sense for Lyft to be acquired at this point. Or should they really try to go ahead and, and figure out product market fit on the business model that they have? Yeah.
0: I think there's two things here. So one, I think, you know, I had mentioned to you that I fundamentally think that once, you know, we get to truly self-driving cars, I think Lyft becomes a very interesting proposition, right? Because I do think that the logistics technology, I do think the number of consumers that they have, if they can make it more economical. So for instance, I loved when they like Uber and Lyft and, and things like that had those subscription services where you could, like, you know, have, a, you would get a discount on, like, packages of rides and things like that. I think especially now living in L.A., there's some nights where I'm just, like, I really would prefer if I could take, you know, some kind of transportation that was economical. Because the thing about L.A., so for people who are listening who are not from L.A., L.A. is actually very large. Like, so in terms of, like, the amount of space that you have to drive, you're actually driving, for you know, potentially 20 miles to go to a meeting. And it makes sense because of, like, the, the like, you know, it's so many people, it's such a large space. And so it could take you 55 minutes, take you an hour, take you an hour and a half to get to a meeting. And so it would be nice to be able to sit in the back seat of something and do other things while you're doing it versus what I do now, which just have a lot of snacks and try not to get pissed off because traffic is so bad, right? So like, you know, the, it would be better to have that. But I think it only really works when you have driverless cars, just to your point. You know, they're they lose eighty percent on the drivers. And the thing is, drivers should get paid. So, like, this is not a don't pay people conversation. People should get paid for whatever work that they're doing. But a business is only as useful as it achieves product market fit. And remember, we said the 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 last point to product market fit is profitability, right? You have to be able to do this business profitable. And so that's why I do agree with you that I do think that some kind of Third party who can actually supply the cars for a very economical model, and then it has the technology to to be paired with those cars so that you don't have drivers. I do believe it becomes a very interesting uh, value. I think it also, you know, if you think about it from the perspective of um, Middle America, an area that I'm super passionate about, there are so many older, you know, folks who don't currently have really great means to be transported. I'm sure many of their children would spend a lot of time you know, and a lot of money to potentially get them from point A to B so they don't have to worry about it. And the simple fact is, is in those areas, you don't necessarily have overlap. Like, I went to Nebraska last year and I was surprised at how difficult it was to get a car from point A to point B. And I just thought in that moment, like, wow, like I'm sure if I lived here, I would be so annoyed that I can't go. Like if I don't have a car, if I don't have this opportunity, you know, what the heck am I supposed to do? And then there's something else that you said there that I I just kind of want to dig into, right? You know, one of the things about this return in the office, especially when these leaders get up and they're like, well, we're just not successful because we're, you know, we're not co located. The double fact is great leadership can cultivate innovation, whether people are with them or not with them. I've seen it happen over and over and over in my career. You know, I think a good example of that is Apple. So Apple has, you know, over 100,000 employees. They're all over the world. They speak different languages. And somehow Apple is able to convince every single one of those people that we need to release software on these intervals every year. We need to release hardware on these intervals every year. We need to have them be bug free. We need to have them be seamless. We need to make sure our customers absolutely are delighted about what we build. So we know companies can do this. And so, you know, the difference between, you know, Apple and some of those other companies is the leadership. I mean, started with Steve Jobs and then Tim Cook, and then it's all the people who are under Tim Cook now who are able to unify. So first of all, they hire well, right? They hire for people who are highly independent, who have leadership ability, and then they view those people with the ability to go out and do their work. And so I think that's an important part of this conversation because I would argue, right? I would argue that that's the bigger problem And so, you know, when folks are, and it comes through, right? Because when you hear the people who are talking about this, these are all companies that you just think, oh, well, doing that well, right? So this is a fear mechanism telling you or coming up with this idea that like somehow this is gonna, you know, suddenly work out, right? In a way that wouldn't work out otherwise. I don't know. So I just think that's an important part of it. And I think that actually that's a great transition into Another really interesting topic of these pandemic players and has had a continued issue, which would be
1: Instacart. Okay. Apple did ask uh, their employees to turn. I, I know that Apple is notorious for in-office. They are not a fan of remote work. I do agree with you. I work for Apple as well, but they do hire well. They hire a certain kind of people, but they are also pretty get-to-this-campus. Get people oh, back no, I... in. I think they have a different approach, but I also think that... There's something to be said to your point about inspiring and having great leadership and hiring well. And to be frank, there are some companies that do not have the luxury to hire the best of the best like Apple. And they usually take the strategy of we need to watch everyone. But
0: the simple fact is it's impossible to watch everyone. And that's the thing that's so interesting to me, because like even if these people are turnoffs, you're still going to have slackers. You're still going to have people who are ineffective. You're still going to have people who you know, get sick and, you know, can't work today or any of those types of things. And so you have to create a culture of accountability and structure in order for things to really work out. I I, I just think it's like, to me, it just comes back to these ideas of like, there's a lot of things you can solve for. And a lot of times I just feel like people are trying to solve for things that are like not the actual issue, which is the the bigger point that's the problem here.
1: It is a skill to be able to properly identify a problem and design a solution that solves that problem. That's a specialized skill. That's not everybody's strong suit. And so I think you hear it, you know, this is why you have change management all of the time. It's basically a new CEO coming in and saying, I have a different way of of solving this problem and we're going to try it my way. Uh, so the, what was the other thing I was going to say? I want to explore for a second because we had this kind of debate on text about what would it look like if a OEM manufacturer came in and said, let's buy Lyft or Uber or whatever and said, let's take this. What would it change? Because I think the real issue that Lyft and Uber have is the classic double-sided marketplace. You're only going to get users to ride or to use Uber or Lyft if the price is worthwhile compared to all the alternatives that they have. There's buses, there's a front and all of these other alternatives that they have. The price has to be at a point that makes them choose Lyft or Uber over anything else. At the same time, need to be able to pay the drivers enough that they're willing to be there um, to take those rides. And that is what's so difficult about their model is that so much money is going out the door to these riders and they're still not happy. And, you, you know, they have. They still have to give a lot of incentives to riders to want to use it, to choose Lyft or Uber over any of their other choices. This is a very difficult puzzle. The only way to really solve this is to reduce your costs as much as possible. All of your costs are in the drivers. And the reason why you have this high cost is because you have to understand that they also have to pay for the car and the maintenance and all of that. I don't see autonomous driving coming anywhere soon. It's not going to happen anytime soon. So, if they're banking on that being the savior of their business, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with
0: that. I, you know, it's actually so interesting. I think it only happens if one of the OEMs do it. Like, I know Tesla wants to be the first one to do it and they have some version of it. But I just really think that the GMs and the Fords and the Toyotas and the Hondas. It's much more likely if someone's going to come up with a permanent solution that works exceptionally well, it's going to be them. Although I guess, you know, if you have like, if you think about like a cruise or something like that, there's always that possibility. But again, I think that that's a great example of a company that probably get acquired, like either right before or right when they actually hit this by one of these OEMs. And so, I mean, because I think even, isn't it like GMs, one of those companies already has a substantial investment into cruise. And so they have just really set themselves up for like, you know, an acquisition, which is kind of similar right. to the Microsoft OpenAI. And actually this goes to a point that you and I have talked about from, for many years, which is a simple fact of like, you know, because corporations, and again, this goes back to this culture, right? Because there used to be within corporations, you'd have like these R&D, like research type teams who would be looking to the future as well as like these teams that were, you know, maintaining the product. But because they gutted so much of their talent and then they continued to gut so much of their talent with layoffs, you know, it's going to be through these, you know, aqua hire type things that they actually go through and actually True. get the talent that they need to develop the next level of the product. And actually, so actually, you know, I was going to talk about Instagram next, but I actually think that that makes me want to talk about TikTok next instead, because they okay. seem to be the, one of the few companies in the world, like ByteDance does, that has the ability to do a great deal of research and exploration and innovation, even while maintaining numerous exceptionally complicated, exceptionally dynamic products. I mean, you know, so By Dance eight, they just came out with CapCut and also Lemonade. So it's almost like whenever they think that they've saturated a particular market or a particular vertical, they'll just pivot to something else. I mean, a great example is TikTok. I mean, everyone, when TikTok was going on, I mean, you would use TikTok. And you're like, oh, cool. Like I can do all these different filters and stuff like that. Then they came out with CapCut because they were just like, well, even if you're not using TikTok, we want you to be able to create these dynamic videos and put them everywhere. And I'm just like, whoever, whoever is over at By Dance, I would invite you over to dinner because like, I just want to bless you with being so smart about saying, you know, we don't need to have all the market share for one thing. We just need to create complimentary products that continue to expand our, our empire. And to that extent, you know, now they're doing this, like these exclusive partnerships with musicians. And it makes sense because to be truthful. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into TikTok and whatever the new song is, everyone's doing something too. I like do a quick Shazam and I'm like, well, who is this? Like, let me yeah. go figure out, because this is, this is banging. Like, and it becomes a part of my playlist. And so I do believe it is the number one discovery vehicle for musicians. And I think that, you know, TikTok coming over here and saying, hey, you can actually, we can have a partnership. We can help you get your money up and we can pay you, right? Because, you know, modern record company, actually record companies from the beginning of time have never had a desire to pay Artists, what they're worth, and artists have always had to tour. But we know that touring is increasingly a complex thing, right? You know, even with the fact that so many venues are owned by the same companies, and so they can they can you know really create they can really depress the market for how much value you can get for playing somewhere, or they or let's say if you even want to you know make your concert as inexpensive as possible for your 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 fans, you can't because the, the venue says this is our minimum price. That's what you have to do. And so I think that this, this movement to music just makes a lot of sense. And Tam, I know you, you were previously in the industry. So like, you know, I would love to kind of hear what you're saying, what you think in terms of what this means for the industry and how, you know, this vibes for TikTok.
1: Let me read this, this thing of it. So the news that we're talking about is TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is looking to play a bigger role in music artists' careers. TikTok's sound on service is signing exclusive distribution deals and is considering creating its own label. ByteDance is set to launch a rebranded version of its streaming app, Resso as TikTok music in some countries. The company's efforts would expand its reach into the purview of major record labels and streaming platforms. ByteDance is under fire from Congress over national security concerns. ByteDance executives envision a future in which artists can distribute their content through SoundOn, use TikTok to promote the music, and then stream the content on Resso. Efforts that get TikTok closer to a traditional music labor's territory could complicate its relationship with the large music companies, and music artists have seen benefits from working more closely with TikTok. However, for a artists, artist, TikTok has its limit. Strategically, I think I understand their play. I think that in a broader sense, this is also on the tails of the U.S. Congress trying to quelch or stomp on the influence of TikTok in the U.S., so I think this is another way for them to just spread their tentacles. I also think the other, it's really interesting, you know, the the accusations or the claims that the Congress is making against TikTok is really about the parent company or just about Chinese influence in the U.S. But they decided to single out a single app. And the response by ByteDance is, well, we'll put out more apps, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, you can you can. You know, they're going to fight the TikTok thing. You know, what Montana has just banned TikTok. They're going to fight that one. But like any strategist would do, they would hedge against their bets and say, if we don't win on TikTok, we're going to have three other apps out there. And they're going to have to whack a mole each and every time because it's going to be very hard to say Byte Dance can't do business in the U.S. So I think that that's part of that. Lemonade, CapCut. TikTok is really just spreading. They are, at the end of the day, they're a social media company and they are in the business of collecting data. So on the other hand, any way to collect as much data as possible is a play that they're going to do. I do not know if in the long run they are going to be successful as a distributor for artists. I understand why they would try it now. They are also, by the way, do we have an update on how they're doing all that e-commerce play? Or is this just news? Like I'm almost feeling like well, they are just in the news all of the time. But
0: <laughs> I will tell you that I'm kind of over how many e-commerce, like every single R- arc yeah. like every single influencer has a yeah. "you can buy this" right here. And I'm like, right. y'all could also just continue to make funny videos in between the really? buy ones,
1: please. Thank oh, you. really? So I want to hear <laughs> about that. You. I haven't seen it. I, TikTok is so loud to me. Every time I open the app, it's like ah. And I'm like, god damn, close it. Uh, so I, I haven't seen this. This user experience of converting people through the app? And are, are you allowed to buy through the app or is it, what is oh, it? It's 100%. just a separate so you store. Can actually answer.
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll break this down because one, I have actually purchased sure. a couple things. So think of it okay. as like a, a, like a more dynamic QVC in some ways, or at least that's how people are actually operationalizing it. So wow. essentially, that's let's true. say there's any influencer that you follow, chances are you're going to catch a video or a million of their videos now that will say, Hey, look at these new earrings I got! And so you'll see the earrings, and then you can actually look down, and there's a little, there's usually a little link. It's orange, and it says "click here," and then you'll you'll bring up it brings up a screen. If there's different colors, you can choose the different colors. You can add to your cart, and your cart's there for forever, so you don't have to check out immediately or anything right. like that. Right. And but you can purchase it. So for instance, I actually got so I needed a different phone holder because I got a new car, and so I actually yeah. saw one that the you know TikToker was like raved about. And I was like, sure, I'll buy this for sixteen dollars. And it, and okay. she also, it came in like 48 hours. So they also are using some really great drop shipping to get things to you super quickly, which is something okay. else I think people rave about. But yeah, it's in context in the video. You can click on it and and add it to your current. And then, you, you know, like the it stops the video and they go right back. So yeah, it actually works exceptionally well for what I'm doing. And also, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Cause like, for instance, I, having a 17 month old, I see lots of baby stuff. Right. And I'm yeah. like, actually, wait, does that sippy cup really work better? Is it? I might get that sippy cup. But what I will say is that it's much more effective because it's people that you already like their content, you already trust them. And so it's much more likely for you to convert them. But this, the the average product, most of the products are below like 25 or 30 boxes so far that I've seen. so I,
1: I will say, I think that, and this is just true to any company that has a lot of data, that TikTok is employing, The very good strategy of understanding the customer journey, where they are before they get to TikTok, where they go after, and they are capitalizing on their ability to say, we have influencers who are prompting people to buy things. Why don't we just capture that business? And I think that that's the same thing that they're the same logic that they apply when they look for the adjacent agencies. You know, as product managers, we always say, we capture this market, what's the next adjacent one to go capture? And I just think that they have owned this kind of adjacent capturing really well, where they're looking at it and say, we have a lot of musicians who break here. We have a lot of people wanting to know where this song came from. Why don't we own this kind of discovery? We can make an artist here, we can break an artist here, all of these things. Um, I do not think this is going to work well in the artist's favor just because it never has do you know what i'm saying it just these kinds of distributor deals never has uh tiktok's creator fund was an experiment and not everybody did well on that and i don't think that we're gonna see anything different here will there be some very big splashy deals in the beginning i'm gonna liken this to the streaming wars right Everybody got into the streaming wars. They overpaid for all of the content. They go to Cannes Festival and they overpay. I think in the very first years, especially when Apple came out, they were record-breaking acquisitions, right? Because you're bidding up. And the same thing, but today, no record-breaking acquisitions. Oh, bidding wars are going on on acquiring these films. And so I think the same thing is going to happen in the beginning. Just like Spotify and Joe Rogan, you're going to pay the $200 million to get that content, and then you're going to write it down. Or you're going to go to the Obamas and pay an obscene amount for their content, and then the next season you're going to cancel them right? and say, there's no ROI, so that's done. And I think the same thing is going to happen here. You're going to see some very big deals from artists, and then in a while, it's going to taper down. I wonder, here's a question. Do you think they're going to give deals to established artists or just up and coming? Who, who do you think they're going after?
0: So first of all, I think most established artists already have like a, a clear business model. And so I'm not sure right. that it would make sense for them, right? You don't think they're going to do, do a be Spotify up and coming and Joe big... Rogan thing? No, I mean, because like, so the best, like only artists who consistently make money are like the Taylor Swifts and the Dells. Right. And the Beyonce's, like, and she right. And
1: why would she go there? Exactly. I
0: mean, first of all, why would she do anything she don't? Like, none of them people have to do anything that they don't want to do. Right. Maybe a Drake, just because Drake is always looking for a few extra dollars. Drake is, like, always like, if I can make another million, why wouldn't I? You know? Like, maybe he would do it. Double no. But, like, everybody else is like, I'm good. I'm tired. Like, I got family. I like to take vacations. But Drake is like, I'm looking for work. Okay. I think what ends up happening actually, so this is something that I think that we haven't talked about ever about TikTok. So it's, it's like, you know, one of the most interesting things about TikTok is that you have all of these like influencers who are literally writing to Congress saying, if you get rid of TikTok, you're getting rid of my, livelihood. you know, like you, like this is the first time I've been able to make enough money. And so I think that's an interesting thing about TikTok that most other social media companies don't have is that they have so much advocacy on their behalf from other folks. And I think that there's something tremendous about that. And so I do think that that's what's interesting about this music thing, because I do agree with you that chances are it won't be as lucrative as it possibly could be because companies have to make profits. Like that's a thing. Like the business model has to make it it. sense. But what I will say is, is that you combine it with the fact that perhaps if you're one of their exclusive artists, you, get, you somehow gain 10,000 more followers or hundred thousand more followers or a million million more followers And then that converts into an influencer relationship with some
1: brand.
0: I think that's the difference between what TikTok can do for you as a musician and what every other record company can do. Because not every other record company can guarantee that you're going to have a relationship with with another brand. But I think TikTok, because of how it works, and especially if they have that other side of it, which is like maybe a partner team or partnership team or something like that that's, that's paired with this, could actually subsidize your expenses with being an artist by giving you these other yeah. opportunities. I think that would be the first thing. I mean, it's kind of like these NIL contracts for, you know, athletes. now. You know, an athlete, af- like those, but we at LSU just won the NIL. So that's the, it's a name image likeness. So name image, image oh, okay. likeness uh, that you can actually get contracts now as a college athlete. Actually, I think oh, right. it goes, I'm not sure if it goes below college athletes, but you can actually get a contract. And so for instance, you know, like the LSU women's team, The reason the LSU women's team was so good is because they were able to attract all of those athletes because of their NRL contracts. Two of the LSU women's players were in the top 10, most top 10 best contracts for women. I think it's like top 25 best for all of sports, right? For all of college sports. And so, and that's also why they've already been able to read, you know, like they, like some of those those students who typically would have gone to the pros said, no, we're going to stay. I'm making a million dollars a year in this contract, why would I go anywhere else when I know I won't make as much money in the WNBA, right? Right. And so I think that that's kind of what TikTok can use a similar model here, which is we're gonna pay you whatever the market rate is. Like we're gonna, our market share with you will be like, it'll be about whatever the the normal rate is, but we're gonna combine that with the fact that our algorithm is so great. We'll help, you know, get you the right audience that you're looking for. And then maybe you'll be able to, you know, do a partnership with Honda or Ford or, you know, whatever. And so you're going to be the, the Super Bowl commercial and that's going to be your million dollar payday. And that's more than you would have ever gotten if you were on some other music distributor.
1: I think you make a good point. One thing things I was going to say is I think that your view on the play is, is correct, that they will go to. Actually, I'm not sure what they'll do. I almost think that they'll do what Netflix did. is basically saying we promise you distribution. We're in 190, 190 countries is what Netflix basically says to to stars that they want to get onto their platform. And TikTok can boast the same thing. We have this many users per day. We can with our algorithm ensure that you get this much FaceTime or this much reach. It's a very that's a very powerful proposition I think for an artist it may be kind of dangerous because they can also quash you as well right uh you know i don't know what those terms are they can at any given time not promote you and if you rely on their algorithms you are going to fall into the same trap of any a all eggs in one basket type of a thing i think the earlier people this would be a lot like nfts you'll get your people right to go and sell a 69 million dollar nft uh, but then here comes along, and and it'll be a lot harder in the future. I I, I don't know an answer. I'm going to watch this. I also believe that in the future, AI generated artists will proliferate TikTok. Oh yeah. So you will not. No, I yeah. just like
0: Well, I think AI generated artists are going to proliferate everything, and I'm already sad about it. Although, so I went to a concert. So my my birthday's this weekend. My wife took me to a concert on Saturday, and it was Emily King. And it was so funny because I literally had this moment when I was at the concert where I was just like. It wouldn't be the same if it was an AI generator. Artist. So, like, because I'm assuming that they will have concerts and things like that too. But there's something about seeing someone, the joy that she had of seeing people enjoy her music, the joy we had being in this community of people who are like, yeah, we we we've been on Emily King since beginning of time. Like, you know, we're the OG yeah. artists because literally that's how we talk. Obviously, people are like, I knew them before they were like all oh, hot. Blah 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 blah. I don't think that that's going to be something that will that can be duplicated. And so there's a whole I feel like there's a whole segment that we can do one day on like this whole AI generated the types of AI generated content and which ones we think will stick and which ones we think won't stick. Right. Because I think that there's something there's there's an emotional part to music that comes just because the person who's singing.
1: I, I know you keep coming back to that. There's a part of me that believes that. And then you look at your average five-year-old, your average 10-year-old. They grew up on the internet. And I'll say it like this. My attitude changed on on this emotional connection when I saw a clip of Keanu Reeves was telling a story how he was talking to a friend's child. Let's say this child was like 12 years old about the latest Matrix movie that he did. And he was just basically trying to explain this concept of red pill versus blue pill. Do you want to see reality or do you want to live in a dream? And this is a young girl who was not around when the first Matrix uh, was around. We were. And her response to him was, does it matter? Who cares if it's not real? As long as you enjoy it, Was her attitude? And that, to me, is the statement of the year for that generation. They have grown up in a world where reality doesn't matter. They're they're living in a like a fantasy. I think that they are more likely if you want to know what the future 20 year old is in 10 years, what the 20 year olds in 10 years will be doing. Look at the 10 year olds today. They will be 20 years old in 10 years. And it's their habits that you need to look at. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think but I think you still have the same issue. Right. So like, for instance, After COVID, right? So we had, like, we've had, like, the most different types of technology and all this other type of stuff in a long time during COVID. Like, there's all these things that were created. And as soon as we could go outdoors, we did. I don't even like going outdoors that much. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be in a house. I was like, I need to be out of the house constantly. So I do think that, like, I just think it's human nature to desire connection at some point, like a more real, more thorough connection. I'm not saying that both can't be true. Like I'm not saying that you won't have AI generated artists that have that have bangers. I'm just saying, would you pay for a concert for an AI generated artist? Or is that just a rave now? I don't know. Maybe it's just a rave and you just have yes. like visuals on the on yes, the wall.
1: I but, think so. I think so.
0: But what I'm saying. But I think that you have a cat. But I think you have a cat. Like I have Beyonce tickets for September. It's on her birthday. Okay. I pay more for those tickets than I've ever paid for anything. It's like ever in my, like, I have never considered paying this much for a concert. I was like, wait, it's my queen's birthday in my city. Okay. I got to do it, right? Like, okay. it, 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 it didn't even, like, I just, like, I just did it. And I just don't think that, like, there's a, there is a component of, like, there's going to be a max that you can have for these ar generated artists whereas i don't think there's a max that you can have for certain other artists like i think you know people would like it means just like the folks who so like michael jordan like the, one of his like game day jerseys from one of his championships or like something one of his like pieces of paraphernalia yeah. just went for the record for the the yeah. most expensive like basketball paraphernalia you know thing ever memorabilia ever right mm-hmm.
1: and
0: it's and it's like these people didn't see they weren't at the game right they weren't there you know these people are like i just want a piece of it because it's the greatest it's one of the, the greatest things that ever happens to society is the fact that michael jordan is the greatest
1: player you can't get, take like an it, it's not the, i don't know let's take an adjacency to that right who's most likely to not care about reality probably kids you have something like a tickle me elmo And you will have kids go to a Tickle Me Elmo concert. I really believe AI-generated music is going to be a thing. It is a thing. An AI-generated artist... If they're going to try this, they're going to try it with kids. Remember this shark song? Like, can you imagine Mm -hmm. an AI generator that makes this kind of music, has a personality, and then puts on a concert? And just like you go to Disney World, you have a human in a mask. Like, this is what I think is going to happen. Or maybe it's just like you said, an immersive experience, a bunch of screens and holograms, and this is how they're interacting. I also see a future of artists turning their likeness, Just go to this NIL, into AI avatars, creating that you can have your own personal conversation with Drake, giving Drake way too many ideas. <laughs> Drake I mean, is going developing it it. Let's just
0: be truthful. I've got to be devil's advocate for one second, because, you know, I have a sure. small child. And it's actually really interesting to me. You're right. Kids are very much like they can watch the same shows over and over again. They can listen to the same songs over and over again. And if they have like the right primary colors and everything else, they are definitely all about it. But at its base, when a kid wants to be comforted, they want something real, right? And so, again, it's not that I'm saying that none of, like, all these things will probably make money. Like, there's no question whatsoever. But I do think that there is a, there's a core part of this. So, like, for instance, my son is just as likely to throw his, like, little scout doll across the room and come want to cuddle with one of his parents as he is to want to listen to it because kids are that complicated but if i walk away abruptly when he's unexpected he's gonna he literally runs across traffic because he's like no i need my person and so i do think that like at our core we don't ever lose that like we don't ever lose that desire to have true human connection right um and, and, and 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 actually if we do
1: he has a reference point, right? You are also a provider. Kids are very non-conditional. They're very, you provide something to me. I need that again. And so he knows where to go. But if a teddy bear gave him that same thing, he would be drawn to the teddy bear. But a teddy bear can't do it. It's an matter. you know what I mean? Like he's drawn to more than just your blood is running through your veins and he's not cognizant that you're a human. He's more cognizant that you... You you mean something to him in a way, whatever that means to him, right? Whether it's your comfort, whether it's your hugs, whether it's you actually feed him when he's hungry, or you're the one that he is cognizant that you represent more than just a living body that that dynamically speaks. Well,
0: I guess, you know, so they, I think you kind of also proved a point because you said I am like, I mean something. I think, you know, one of the things that we know about how consumerism works is that it moves quickly. Right, it moves quickly. Like today, we think that this thing is the coolest thing, this song is the best thing, and tomorrow we think something else. And I think that that just goes to this idea because it, it becomes an experience, right? And that's get it. So that's why I think, you know, there's going to be many things that make millions or billions or even trillions of dollars, but there are just some things that will be constant, even beyond that, right? There are the things that you can you can take that to the bank. It's going to always consistently create value for people, unless I mean, unless someone's a sociopath, in which case you know, they don't really care about you and stuff, and they're just like, I don't care. Well, there's another case, that's about Block's terrible business decision. So basically, a Delaware court has rejected a shareholder lawsuit over Block's purchase of title, despite finding that the $300 million purchase was a terrible business decision. The court affirmed the right of independent boards to make such choices as long as they act in good faith. A group of independent directors on Block's board unanimously approved Jack Dorsey's Proposed acquisition of title, despite senior company sectors opposed. And so, you know, it's really interesting about this case because I, but like, so are both Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk trying to create super apps? Is that really what this is about? They just want to create like a destination place, and they think that that's all you have to do to be able to like make this work. Because like, I want to start off with saying they're not ByteDance because ByteDance seems the only one who can be like like lots lots of apps that right. people use consistently. So, right,
1: right. That's a good question. I don't know. I think from Jay-Z's perspective, he was trying to offload a dud. And I think from his perspective, he got a good deal. Uh, this was a down round. Uh, and the lawsuit was essentially a shareholder of Block sued saying this was a buddy deal. Essentially, this was not a real business deal. This was not a business deal that any competent businessman would have done. This must have been a buddy deal and it was not in the best interest of the shareholders. So he sued. Originally, this was a down round Uh, several years ago. I think Jay-Z probably paid $50 million to to purchase title. Mm -hmm. This deal was for $300 million, but Jack Dorsey had suggested $500 million. And this is essentially what the claim of the shareholder was made, that this was not worth even $500. It was already a down round. Just recently, within the last couple of years, Jay-Z had to loan the company uh, $50 million. So where was the justification for the $300 million? Yeah, this was an offloading for Jay-Z. Let, let, me, get, let me get rid of this no and make money some money back. And I think he got a board seat out of it. So great job to Jay-Z for that. For Block, they were probably just, I'm not sure what, because even the, their, you know, titles getting sued in Europe for fudging their subscriber numbers. I honestly can't make sense of what was going through Jack Dorsey's mind. Maybe he was trying to get access to the customers, or maybe he felt, I really do believe it had something to do with Cash App. And he felt like Jay-Z's influence could help with the cash app business. And that's why he paid the $300 million for the block. For Tidal, I'm sorry. Well, you know, that,
0: that's very interesting. I I do think that it has to be a play for this larger ecosystem, right? Okay. It has That has to be the actual principle here. But, you know, what ends up, you know, for me, that ends up happening. So, for instance, I actually do listen to Tidal on free. I, I did pay for it for a, a brief period of time, but I, like, you know, their big, their big value add is that, you know, it's such high quality. And I'm like, I'm just a normal human. I can't tell the difference between like great quality and like, okay quality. Like it, it all sounds good Most in good. my car, right? And so, you know, I always thought that they didn't have a good value add for why you'd pay. I was, I think they're like 14.99 or something like that because they're a little bit more expensive than everyone else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was just like, you know, for if you're going to be that much more expensive, you have to have a, a clear value add. Now, in terms of, you know, blocks, I thought they were about the blockchain, right? If you are not doing something at the base of the blockchain, I just fundamentally don't understand like why you would even be pursuing it because that's what you said you're good. You literally changed your name, right? And so, you know, I think that, you know, ultimately, no, no, no. I think this goes back to something we already talked about, which is leadership, right? Do I think Jack Dorsey is a good leader? I'm not sure because i think he distracts his company i think he does lots of different things i think he creates a i think he creates a culture of confusion that makes it very difficult for his companies to succeed and so you know i I'm, you know from an ethical standpoint there's a part of me that just goes like wtf like you know if someone else were to actually have ownership of his companies imagine what they could do imagine what they could do to to create something cuz i do think he wants to create like a super app ecosystem like they but like, you know, he's just an ineffective person for it. And I, and I think that the shareholders were right to sue. I think it's very interesting. Like I said, one of the things I, as a board director, one of the things I talk about all the time on boards is my fiduciary responsibility to, you know, the, you know, the organization to the employees. I'm not sure how these board directors were able to unanimously, you know, approve this deal. At the very least, I think they should have asked for, you know, it to be a cheaper deal. Or maybe a cash only deal, you know, you know, not a cash, a stock only deal, right? Because you know that's a good way to kind of offset, you know, your your cost for acquisition. Um, so I just think that you know, just from a moral resp- moral perspective, I'm deeply disturbed by it. I'm deeply disturbed that you know we live in in a world that like the, the legal system's like, well, we really can't do anything. You know, if y'all want to do this,
1: you're writing this. This down. is what
0: is happening. So.
1: My bet is this is going to be a write down. Yeah.
0: I mean, hopefully Jay Z does participate and hopefully that does help. I mean, if it, and, you know, and that justifies everything. Because otherwise, you know, you just wasted a lot of people's time and money that you didn't really have to.
1: One day, if it's worth it, do a product market fit on Tidal. I think it was a bad fit. I mean, the reason why you can't hear the difference of the music quality in your car is because it has a lot to do with the speakers. We're in a generation that we're listening to Beats by Dre, which is not for high quality. Tidal was originally designed for high quality speakers the Bose systems the things like that that can receive that high definition the bandwidth in music your speakers in your car your average speakers in your car do not have that range in bandwidth or a wavelength in hertz as well as the average beats by Dre that you're buying so it, it can't you can't get the benefit of high quality sound when that's your listening method um, I thought it was a bad acquisition from the beginning. And if you don't have the kind of customers who listen to high quality music, so this value proposition does not resonate with that group. So.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and I guess that's a great way to end yeah. on Tam's amazing knowledge of music, of sound, of technology, and a reminder that you have to know your customers before you buy anything, before you do anything, because that is the way, that's the only way to win consistently every time. All
1: right, wrap up.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are The Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to The Drops Podcast.